good people. Good morning, afternoon, or evening, good people, wherever you are, and however you're listening to the sound of my voice. Thank you for the ear. I'm Dave, and this is Dave's Head. So what's in my head? You know, last week I had the opportunity to visit D.C., our nation's capital, and I walked along and took pictures along Black Lives Matter Plaza. And I walked up to, you know, as far as they let you to, the gates of the White House and just observed. And, you know, I didn't do anything obscene. You know, that's some people might expect. But, you know, I also got to walk in the park where, you know, nonviolent protesters were gassed and, and forcibly removed for a photo op a couple weeks ago. And it just, it's powerful. It's a powerful display of protests. It's a powerful display of unity in the words painted on the street. But I think the most powerful part of that whole experience was walking around the corner and up against the fence leading to the park and just sign after sign after sign and message after message after message and just really just cries for justice and a better society. And I know there's there's controversy out there for people who want to make it controversial about the phrase Black Lives Matter. As if the phrase is saying black lives are the only ones that matter. Or only black lives matter. And that's not the premise of the, the phrasing. And I don't even get into debates anymore for anybody who uses that rhetoric or response to it. And all lives matter. I don't even get into that anymore either because it's it's a dog whistle for something I'm not going to talk about right now but the cries for justice and a better society you think about the U.S. population which is 328.2 million um, as of the last count you know statistically and I'm a math guy my X's and O's a one and zero a black and white guy you know where the data goes and truth goes the facts go that's that's where I go but statistics just generally say that it's virtually impossible for every one of those 328.2 million people to be good people. It's just, just not going to happen. And so part of life is dealing with the bad people in this world, the racists, the, the prejudice, the bigotry, the hate. And it comes from all shapes and sizes, color, creed. And there's some people that say black people can't be racist. And, you know, we can have that debate another time. Every single person on this planet of sound mind and rational thought can be everything good and everything bad about this this world. But we shouldn't expect 328 million people to be good, but we kind of hope that they are, right? When we leave our house in the morning, or at least we used to before COVID, you don't expect to get shot. You don't expect to get hit by a car. You don't expect to get rudeness at the store. You don't expect somebody to spit on you. You kind of walk out, at least I do, you walk out into the world expecting the best to happen. And you don't expect as a child that you're going to have to at some point in your life help paint the words Black Lives Matter on the street so that the sound and sight of all that is stated and reaffirmed. You know, we, we tend to release, I, I should say, I should speak for myself. I'm a very optimistic person. I believe in the good of people. 
I trust and allow people to violate the trust before I take it away. I give trust to people instantly. It's, it's just the way I'm built, the way I was raised, if you will. But 328 million people in this country are all not good. And it's a conversation a lot of people don't want to have because they have to admit that racism is still here. The bigotry is still here. The sexism is still here. That class warfare still exists. But that afternoon, it was all about Black Lives Matter and taking pictures, you know, kind of touristy stuff, but also being in the moment and seeing those signs, seeing the picture and posters of my dearly departed brother, John Lewis, and seeing so many powerful messages that day. It's something I think I want to go back and do again. Uh, just to just take it's impossible to take it all in the first time. But I got the opportunity to, and it's something I said I wanted to do, and I was able to do it, thankfully. You know, the other thing that's on my mind is what, what I call schools versus sports. You know, around the nation, schools and universities are enacting these various COVID policies from completely virtual, partially virtual, 100% in class. But meanwhile, you have the NBA and NHL are doing this bubble. Baseball and NFL have these strict policies. And even today, the Dallas Cowboys um, almost threw up in my mouth, excuse me, um, said they're going to do their training camp in a bubble. The Big Ten and the Pac-12 postponed their seasons until the spring, at least. And there's numerous college and NFL players completely opting out of the seasons because of COVID. And so I don't get it. The contrast to how this is being handled by professional sports organizations and how we're handling this with our, our youth, our children. The Texas governor just said that there are too many cases for the state to reopen. But we're trying to put these children back in schools. In Cherokee County, Georgia, 900 students and staff, I'm going to say that again, 900 students and staff have been ordered to quarantine because of students testing positive in over 10 schools. 10 schools. That, it just doesn't, the, the contrast between how we're handling our, our students, our youth, our children, and how grown men and women, although all these are male sports, but grown men, are opting out and existing in bubbles where they cannot leave the bubble. And if they do, they have to quarantine themselves. But yet we're expecting students to go to school for five, six, seven hours a day, come home five times a week. And we don't think it's going to spread. Now, there are some people that believe it's okay if the youth get infected because, quote, they get over it. But ignorantly, and I say ignorantly, these same people never talk about the lingering effects of COVID after you get over it or that they become spreaders to people who may not get over it. They may die. So it's not just about the students who may or may not have immune systems. And let's not forget youth get cancer too. Youth get immune depleting diseases as well. But they never talk about the fact that their lingering effects of having COVID just recently came out. It impacts the heart. And so there's this notion of herd immunity and herd immunity just basically means that enough people get it, that 
recover from it, build up antibodies to it, that it almost renders the virus moot. Now, doctors estimate that 60 to 70 percent of the human population has to get COVID in order for herd immunity to even be a possibility. And I'm not talking about just the United States. I'm talking about the world. But just focusing on the United States for a second, 60 to 70 percent. Just think about how many people that would be. We're talking 200 plus million people need to get this. And many will not recover from it. But these same doctors also say to truly achieve it, you also need a vaccine. And the reason why is because it hasn't been determined if natural immunity exists, which means that you have been infected and recover. You develop antibodies so that if you do get COVID again, your body shuts it down immediately. That's natural immunity. 60 to 70 percent of the population needs to get it. In order for herd immunity to be established. We're in the single digits still. Think about that. What do we have? A million? Let's say we have 2 million cases. I don't know the exact number. 328 million people in this country. I'm really good with math. I'm thinking just 2 million cases means that we got a whole lot of people that have never come in contact with COVID. And so to get herd immunity means a whole lot of people need to get it. But I feel like there's this 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 undertone, this acceptance in this country right now by a segment of people that some of us are pretty expendable. And I'm saying they're saying mainly older or unhealthy people or involuntarily sick people. Like, it's okay. You can get it. You can die. Because you'll be helping the herd immunity. You'll be helping us move past this economically faster. And that's sad. That's That's just sad to me. It's very sad that we don't see my brother's keeper as a way of life. My sister's keeper as a way of life. We're okay with our older Americans who many have fought and bled so that we have the rights that we have. Now, granted, unhealthy people, and I say unhealthy in the sense that they've been drinking beer, they've been smoking cigarettes, they've been eating crazy fast food for all their life, not working out, not doing vitamins, not doing the things that doctors and scientists say make you healthy, keep you living longer. But they're still people. They may have shortened their life with some of their habits, but it doesn't make them candidates to die in 2020. And I say involuntarily sick people in the sense that there's some people who hereditarily are born with conditions that are they're no, no fault of theirs so why do they deserve to die leukemia patients immunocompromised people they didn't do anything to get sick it's something genetic in their body that created the sickness but i think this whole undertone this whole there's a segment of us that we're okay which is dying off that's just that's just not okay it's, and it's really sad but the last thing that's on my mind and it's, it's happiness and, and, and sadness at the same time. It's bittersweet for me. The day that this episode is dropping today, August 14th, March, marks 32 years since the death of my grandmother. 32 years since the death of my grandmother. Pauline was her name. Or Duchess, as a nickname she had. Um, but she was my guiding star. She is, not was, is 
the foundation for who I am. But as a 10-year-old kid, snot nose and pimples starting to come in, she was my first loss, my first death, my first funeral at 10 years old. And it's it's kind of like, you know, it's like your first kiss, your first, you know, you lose your virginity, your first crush. And those three people may not be the same, but you don't forget those things, you know. You don't forget your first death, your first loss. And mine happened to be the person most influential in the, the structure and makeup of who I am. And it was tough. I can tell you the they aired an episode of Good Times, the episode where James died the week after my grandmother passed. And I remember how soul crushing that was for me to watch that fresh off the loss of my grandmother. Still asking questions and not really just sure like this actually just happened. I really coming to grips with that. And I remember that Good Times episode came on the week after. But it's tough. It's tough as a child to lose a grandparent. Our grandparents, to me, used to be precious to us. And I say used to just because I think times are changing and the respect and, and love and admiration I don't think is there like it used to be you know our grandparents they had smiles that just lit up a room when we came around right just because we entered the room grandparents of your grandparent or older grandparent and your child comes into the room you just you just your body gets warm you light up the smile just pops on your face involuntarily and they always had candy or pennies for us right i mean you thought that they gave us a bag of gold but it was just these little candies that, that like the wrapper stuck to it because these candies are so old, like the wrapper didn't want to free itself from the candy. And these pennies that just, I don't even know how they always had them, but they always had some pennies. And sometimes, a lot of times, it was quarters and nickels and, and that type of stuff too. But they always had some pennies. They always had something for us. And I don't know about your grandparents. My grandparents had the best food ever. Ever, ever. The smells, the flavors, the, the, the tastes were ridiculous back then. And you just see them slaving in the kitchen and steam everywhere and stuff popping out of pans. And when that plate got made, you didn't care what the kitchen looked like. Now, me, the way I cook today, I cook like my grandmother. So I'm kind of telling a little tale there because my grandmother cooked like I cook now. Like it, By the time we're done, it looked like nothing happened at all because we're cleaning while we're cooking. But... You know, some of the flavors and, and these plates that you get. And you, you know, I'm a seven, eight, nine, ten year old boy. I can eat a whole house because my metabolism's on rocket fuel, right? But you're just, you're getting these huge helpings and every bite is just hot and delicious every single time. You walk in, go in the fridge and get something. I cook for you. That's how, that's how I grew up. But they also, they drop some life lessons on us, right? And, and listen, my truth, my grandmother, you know, would dish out. I'm, I'm talking about the original, the original. I'm only disciplining you because I love you ass whoopings, right? The type, the type where you think your soul is about to be snatched. And then afterwards, they hugging the hell out of you. But, they, but right now, I need to beat this wickedness, <laughs> wickedness out of you, boy. But that's how I was raised, right? Um, with love and care and discipline respect 
and some banging, banging ass food. But I feel like now we we live in this society where our grandparents are younger, right? Babies having babies comes to mind. Our grandparents are our friends instead of our elders. And so we're not looking at them with the same fear and respect that we, we used to do, right? You know, our grandparents would sit on the stoop and, and call us. We'd be in the next block or around a corner playing with our friends. And we just hear that voice and, oh yeah, I'm out. I'll see y'all. We in the store and grandma just get that look or say something. Yep, you get right in attention. You snap right over to her side. Like it's, it's just, we were raised different and our interaction was different. Our grandparents were always, you know, if you, if you think back to like the, the picture of the, the, the older skin tightened or not tightened, but loosened and, and, and knuckles and that elder, that type of elder, you know, that was my grandmother. I'm, I'm trying to paint the picture of like a, a wise, weary, seasoned elder. And that's how we respected our elders back then. And it's, it wasn't just my grandmother. It was our neighbors, everybody on the block, everybody in the neighborhood. You know, because, I mean, listen, I grew up in a time where if I did wrong on the street, I'd have a neighbor whooping my ass and bring me to my grandmother, and my grandmother whooped my ass, and then I'd be in the house for 18 years or whatever what the punishment was back then. But, you know, we back then we turned to our grandparents for advice and course correction, right? But now if we turn to them at all, it's, it seems like it's more for debate and enabling. And we need to get back to grandparents that are parenting, Right? And that's kind of what it boils down to. A lot of grandparents don't have that parental role anymore. In order to be an elder that passes down knowledge and information and shares those life lessons, you have to have that parent side of grandparents working as well. We got to stop being friends. The one thing I love and remember about my grandmother, besides her laugh, her laugh was amazing. But I remember when I stepped out of line when I came off that life path that she wanted me on. Oh, there was no friendship there. It was do as I say and do it as fast as you can. And if I think you're not moving fast enough, oh, I'll, I'll hurry you along. We need more grandmothers like my grandmother. 32 years ago today, she left us, passed on. And every day I try to honor her with my actions and by what I do to pay it forward as somebody's elder, because let's, let's face it, I'm in my forties, so I'm somebody's elder out there. But we need more elders providing good foundations for our youth so that our future grandparents are true elders and not just friends. Coming up, we're gonna talk about something that relates to that, education. Some powerful, powerful messaging and thoughts and passion coming up about education, education in this COVID world what we need to do to improve education for our youth and what our teachers need. We'll be right back after this. Simple solutions for complex problems. For 15 years, the mantra has been the practice of SRE Solutions, providing business intelligence, application and website design, and PC repair services for clients. SRE Solutions has a simple solution for your problem regardless of the complexity. Contact SRE Solutions at www 
www.sresolutions.org and get your problem resolved today. Welcome back. Welcome back. So, you know, teachers hold a, uh, a special place in my heart. And, and I know um, that may come as a surprise to people because you don't really hear me talking about teachers that much. But to me, they, they provide unrecognized and, and underappreciated influence on our youth. And if you think about it, they they spend five, six, seven, however many hours it is. I don't teach. I think that's around a good number. Five days a week with our youth. So a uh, quick fun fact uh, for for like a two, three weeks, two, three months, whatever it was back in college, I actually was a physics education and math education double major for a little bit. I actually thought about teaching, thought I was going to teach. And I'm not really sure why I switched away from that. But, you know, I was kind of my youthful trying to decide what I wanted to do in my life type of phase. And ultimately, I came on home back to technology. You know, that, that's my passion, my love. It's what I do, what I've done for, for decades now. But teachers will always be valuable to me. And so as I spoke about in the opening, COVID is probably going to make this school year, at least I think, as or, or the most difficult school year for teachers they've ever experienced. And even without COVID, there's so many difficulties teachers face just to be able to do their jobs with our youth. So I want to bring in a good friend, way more than a good friend, brother of mine, Eric Healy. And a little bit about Eric. Um, he honorably served in the U.S. Navy, go Navy, beat Army, um, from 99 to 2005, um, attained his bachelor's and MBA from Penn State, then a master's in education with a focus on special education and elementary education from Temple, T for Temple U. Also got his uh, principal certification from Temple and he's taught for 14 years in many diverse and settings and classrooms. Um, he currently teaches algebra and science at Redland High School and he's pursuing a doctorate in educational leadership. Best thing about him, he has five children, ranging from ages 6 to 17, with one of those being my godson, um, a child with autism. Welcome to Dave's Head. Eric, how's it going? Uh, I'm fantastic. How about yourself? Can't complain. I'm doing my best in this COVID environment to stay sane and safe, so you know I'm still here. So I uh, gave a bio, a nice description of you, but I always give an opportunity for people to shout out themselves. So if you want to tell the people what you're about, who you are, your expertise, and, you know, how you live your life. Well, in the classroom, uh, I'm a little bit of a different type of teacher than most. Uh, I take the child's needs, individual child's needs first, and that's, that's kind of like the centerpiece of special education uh, as it is. And um, I like to craft that classroom environment to meet that student's individual needs. So when you talk about building kids up, I that is one of my strong points as a teacher. That's a beautiful thing. You know, I guess when you look at ratios, and I know we haven't even gotten into Q&A yet, but it just prompted a question in my head. So you look at ratios of teachers to students. You know, how do you feel that you're able to do your job with the ratio you have? And do you feel ratios in general are way too high, way too low? What do you think? Ratios in general are too high, and the the issue there is you're talking about tax dollars because tax dollars uh, pay for teacher salaries. Uh, the lower the ratio, uh, research would tell you the better education your child's going to get. Um, I teach in other classes where it's specifically a special education class, and the ratio is could be five to one. Me and five kids that are really, really, really struggling. 
but the majority of my time is spent in anywhere from a 22 to 30 per kid class with me and another teacher. So, and that's kind of new on the curve in the last five, six years with two teachers in a room, one being um, a content expert and the other being a special educator. That's called co-teaching. And that model is really, really good because it, it brings kids out of those special education classrooms and allows them to interact with their general education peers with a lot of support. Okay. So I, I didn't even know they did that, but that's a, that's a nice thing. Um, so, so now let's actually get into the Q&A section, which um, I promised you. So the first question I have for you, or I guess the second question now. Um, so, so teachers, to me, have a tremendous influence on the future men and women who shape this nation. Um, but speaking of ratios and, and resources, I think there's a lack of resources available to teachers and really by extension the students. With that, I think it puts students behind and makes teachers' jobs harder than necessary. Do you think this is the biggest hindrance for teachers to doing their job well, and what can be done to improve the teaching experience? I, I think when you, when you say shaping the nation, I'm not going to disagree with you on that fact. Um, I think more importantly, teachers are molding uh, responsible citizens for the community. I like to focus on that because sometimes when you say the nation, it, it tends to be like this... Uh, this uh, pressure-filled vacuum that kids are going to go out and do this. Let, let's start locally first and see what you can do to help the community. Um, schools in general, I would say, are typically underfunded, and especially um, in our inner-city schools. And this is not just a Pennsylvania issue. This is a major issue across the country. And a lot of that's tied to um, tax bases. So if your tax base uh, is not bringing in a lot of money, that affects the quality of education that a child's getting in school. Now, there's a lot of federal dollars that come in and help support um, some of these schools, but uh, in general, teachers' salaries, and we can get into that a little later about what the teacher salary actually dictates, but there's that. Um, there's a shortage of teachers across the country in a lot of different areas um, for a lot of different reasons. And when you have a shortage of teachers, that means that quality candidates are going elsewhere. Uh, sort of like, I'll, I'll use you as an example. You, I, I guarantee, would have been an amazing teacher. Now, you do great things in the community. You're a great uh, member of your organizations, and you're a great employee for your company. But, you know, the teaching core lost a valuable asset when you decided not to teach. Um, you, and that's why did you go? You have your reasons and they're all valid, but that's, that's what's happening. And if the, if teacher pay was up, it would incentivize better quality candidates to go into the field. And that's not saying that teachers are low quality candidates right now. We're just talking about increasing that quality. Yeah. I will say, I think pay had something to do with it. Probably just knowing me back then, <laughs> but Okay. So let's, let's talk about COVID a little bit, right? So, you know, COVID's obviously added teaching challenges in, in unpredictable ways. You know, students are returning to school and colleges. It's, it's a controversial topic. And I talked about this in, in my opening a little bit. You know, as all things, COVID is controversial. Are you okay with the students returning to school? Why or why not? Yes and no. In March, teachers, I can talk from a teacher's perspective, obviously. Um, teachers literally felt like they were pushed into the deep end of a swimming pool and we couldn't swim because it was like it, school ended that quick and we were forced into online learning. It was very, very difficult for teachers to attempt to catch up and provide a, a quality, let's just call it what it is, a quality product for the kids. 
Um, so we've had the summer now, and now we're coming back. So I absolutely, firmly, most importantly believe that kids need to be back in school. And I'm going to step in line here with a lot of the pediatricians. Dr. Fauci has said it. We need that social-emotional interaction in school for these children. Not every student needs it. Some students are okay online. But there's a, there's a large percentage of our population that while there is an academic component of school, that social-emotional component is far greater. And teachers are some of the frontline people that see that, can direct them to a counselor, can direct them to other teachers that have a good relationship with them. And we can talk with them through some of these issues. This is entirely frightening for teachers because we know we have faces of the students that we know need us. And Zoom doesn't cut it. Mm-hmm. You know, the online learning doesn't cut it. We need to be that face-to-face instruction. So on that note, I say absolutely. Now, where I say no for students and it's not even that I'm concerned necessarily about them catching COVID. I'm concerned about the spread of COVID. So have the schools locally, because remember schools are locally run, have the schools implemented enough strategies and best practices that have been delineated by the CDC, Dr. Fauci, the Department of Health, to ensure that there are smaller numbers of students in the classes um, and addressing transition times and lunch periods and things like that. And to this point, and this is, this is not just the local to my school, this is across Pennsylvania. Schools are struggling to come up with these plans, which is why most schools are going virtual here in the fall to start. So when you have, when you talk about the spread, the spread is very real. So children, you know, it's been said are very resilient and it doesn't affect them as much as it would say adults, but there are older teachers there. So are we concerned about the teachers and what are we doing to protect those older teachers? And then you got to remember all these kids are going home Mm -hmm. and they, once you go into a school of 300 kids interacting in different classrooms all day long, it's going to spread. And I, I said to people early on, I said, when I, when I, if I catch COVID, what is the plan for that? Does my class get quarantined? Do I get quarantined? Like these are all valid questions and I'm not saying there's a right answer, but yeah. So we need, we need to open these schools as soon as possible. And we need to get these kids the, the social emotional support they need as well as the academics. And, um, but you know, we got to do it the right way. Yeah. And I kind of talked about this in my opening with one of the schools. There's a school district in Georgia that there are over 900 students and faculty and staff that have been quarantined because over 10 schools, there's been positive tests since they opened back up. And so now they're thinking about shutting down the whole thing, but it's, it's tough. Yeah. Like my biggest concern is, you know, I get it. The youth are resilient. You know, we go get some sun, we feel better, get some fresh air. We feel better. But the parents, the teachers, there's a lot of older people in this, this, this country who are susceptible just because of their age. And so if we, you know, we start introducing all these students back into school, they, they, they can't sleep in the school. They got to go home. And they're going to interact with people and, not in those classrooms. And the thing that I also wanted to point out, which is why I, I mentioned my kids in the bio, is first and foremost, I'm a parent. So I understand from a teacher's perspective why teachers are concerned to go back. But I also get it from a parent's perspective because I have five kids ranging in ages, and now I'm going to be responsible to get them online for live instruction via the Internet, but I'm also supposed to be working. And every parent in the country is going to go through that 
process of trying to figure out how we balance this, you know, how we take care of our kids during the day. Where, what does that look like? Where are they going to be? Who's going to be ensuring they're getting their instruction? And then how fair is it to put the volume of work on parents? So say they work during the day and the kid wasn't able to get their instruction during the day. They have to go online at night with their kids and do this stuff. And, you know, algebra is easy for you and I, but algebra is not an easy concept for a lot of parents. Mm -hmm. So if you're teaching an algebra class, you're expecting that parent to be able to guide and deliver that instruction that was online during the day. This is a terrible, terrible situation. And I, I totally, I, I'm obviously a parent myself. So I'm in, I'm kind of wearing both hats there. It is, it, there is no right answer. And I think everybody's frustrated. Yeah. I think frustration is a great, great way to describe it. You know, everybody wants solutions yesterday and wants this pandemic over yesterday. And it's just a new world that's evolving daily. And it's tough to to satisfy everybody or even a majority of the people at this point. Speaking of, of difficulties, we, we both live in a state, Pennsylvania, that's seen multiple school district corruption problems, uh, waste of money, waste of resources, and really students victimized because the quality education is not there for various reasons. How can we get corruption out of the school districts? In the United, well, in Pennsylvania. Now, let, let's, let's, let's contrast uh, Maryland and Pennsylvania. In Maryland, their school districts are run by county, um, which is which is an interesting way to do it. In Pennsylvania, we are all locally run school districts, which are governed by school boards. So those school boards are elected by the population. Those school boards then appoint a superintendent. Your school board is a reflection of your community. And if your community is not putting ethical people in those positions in the school board positions, then that's, that's a, that's where a lot of this uh, fraud with the school districts is occurring. And you got to, and the whole system is beautiful as long as you have qualified people in the positions that aren't going to be immoral. Mm -hmm. um, but the moment you have a couple stakeholders in there that are not doing it and you don't have proper checks and balances, that's where things can get hidden and lost. And that's where you find the state, wanting the Pens like the state of Pennsylvania wanting to go in and essentially rescue school districts. But you get a lot of pushback on that because what does that mean for unions? What does that mean for the current school board? It's a, it's a really complicated issue. And I, I don't know of the correct answer for it. Um, it. It's a, it's a very, very tough issue. What I would tell people is make sure you are active in your community and choosing your school board members wisely because a good school board member is the best check and balance you can have for a school district. And there's a lot of money going through these school districts from the federal government mm -hmm. and the state government, but the, the federal dollars are really important because there are strict guidelines for that money that must be followed. And if you keep up on the paperwork and things like that and have good watchdogs in place, you can ensure the money's going to the right place. But unfortunately, I've seen the other side of it, standing back and, and watching. Um, it, it's, a, it's a tough thing to see. Hmm. Basically, you're saying you got to be invested in your own students or children's education. I mean, if you can't just send them to school and hope that, you know, things work out, be invested. As well, well. It, it's. It's more, and I don't mean to correct you, but it's more than just your children. Like, and this is where people in our country, we believe across the board, all 50 states, that 
we pay for our education of all the children out of tax dollars. So you have an interest in your community, even though you have no children. Like your tax dollars, you, you have a duty, and, a, and the school district has a duty to make sure that your tax dollars are being used effectively and efficiently for the benefit of kids, because those kids are going to turn around and go into our communities. And I think that's where, like, yeah, you should be invested as a parent. Absolutely. You should care about your children's education, the future of their education, but it goes beyond just the parents. It's, it's everybody in the community has to have a really invested interest and know how important that, that school, that classroom is. Because ultimately, everything that the school board does impacts the classroom. So you have to make sure that, that everything is on the up and up on that level. Gotcha. And I'm, I'm okay to be corrected. I'm, I'm fallible. I, uh, I mess up all the time. Let's turn, speaking of youth and turn to youth and look at, let's, let's talk about this for a second. So there, there are many youth who are natural educators, right? They're, they're, they teach, they tutor, they do, they do all the things that educators do. They just have it naturally. They have a hunger to teach. What advice can you give them about the pros and cons of teaching? And is there an area that needs teachers more than others? Let's start with the latter. The areas that we are des- in desperate need across the board are um, elementary males. Um, that has been a traditional field of, of females have dominated that uh, field. And it's, it's, it has nothing to do with, you know, it, it, it essentially has to do, like when I, if you think back to your elementary days, the teachers that I were that I was impacted by the most were males, and it, it had nothing to do with their teaching ability. It had to do with me seeing myself, mm-hmm. you know, and that goes into another issue when we talk about schools with diversity um, and, and severe diversity, which is a beautiful thing. We need to have teachers, and this is a very controversial thing for me to say, but we need to have um, teachers that reflect that community's diversity because these children are looking up to these teachers and they it goes back to a lot of bigger issues that are going on in our country right now i don't want to get into all those but why was black panther such an amazing movie i mean people should know the answer to that because the hero was black and it was this this it was a beautiful thing for kids to finally see that right so teachers also need to reflect their uh, diversity of their community. And one of the problems right now that we're having in education is schools are having a really, really hard time recruiting a diverse workforce. Um, it's just a shortage out there. Uh, science and math, science and mathematics, uh, high school teachers, severe shortage. Um, special education across the board um, is a huge, huge high burnout rate. It's a few years, and most special education teachers are done because it's such a um, the the documentation is so legal and stress filled, and that that's just the paperwork side. When you go into the classroom, it's a whole other stress. So we're short special ed teachers across the board, and it, it links back to your one of your first questions was about pay, and are teachers paid too much? I'm going to tell you right now, I'm happy with my pay but it's because I love my job so much. If I were to actually objectively look at my pay and the hours that I put in and and things like that, um, I would say teachers do need compensated more. And what would that compensation do for um, math and science? It would attract more quality candidates that are schooled well enough to teach these kids. Because right now, 
like, well, I'm not sure if that drove your decision, but right now you have people that are willing to go out into the private sector and make more money and have a different lifestyle. Uh, as for myself, and I said, I just said this, I choose the lifestyle of a teacher because I'm able to spend a little bit more time with my family over the summer. That's one of the reasons. But also, I love working with kids. I love seeing that light turn on in their heads. And like you said, we do mold our, the citizens of our community. So um, we take it very seriously. But if you want to attract educators, uh, money is a big, big factor. Gotcha. And as far as pros and cons of teaching? The pros of teaching. Well, let's go with the cons. Right now, in, and this has been a movement over the last two years, there's an attempt to privatize education, and that is a very controversial topic. Um, and basically what you're talking about is getting rid of the unions. So whether, wherever you stand on unions, you know, it's a fascinating thing. But teacher unions have always been very good at uh, regulating pay for the teachers, um, compensating older teachers as well as incentivizing uh, younger teachers. But when you go to these uh, the private schools, the pay goes down, the quality goes down. That's what we're seeing. The test scores go down. Um, and, you know, it may upset some people for me to say that, but it, that is a major con to being driven into teaching right now. Because the more that we go down that road, the more it's not as, as, a, as a good field to be in. The pros of teaching, and, and this is where you can't quantify the relationship that you have with a child um, when you're reaching them on a social, emotional, and academic level. And you can see, and, and we all have had those teachers, right? We have like, you know, five teachers maybe over our school careers that we can remember their name and their face. And the rest, they kind of all fade into oblivion. But those five teachers impacted your life for the rest of your life. And in turn, their light stays on when you impact other people in your community. So and when I say their life stays on, I mean their impact. Mm -hmm. Their impact moves forward. So you're creating that ripple through time as a teacher. It's a very powerful concept. And then, you know, kids come back, uh, the, their kids come back, and it's the, people in the community talk, and they know, they know what teachers really, really look out for the kids. And that is one of the pros, for sure, without a doubt. Um, I love it. I love and I like the highs, the lows, everything with a kid. Like when, when the kids are at their lowest, it's the hardest in the classroom, right? But when you can work with them through that and you can teach them some skills on how to deal with some of their anger, some of their emotional issues, it, it becomes a bond that, that never ends with you. I, I have kids that come back and visit and, and they talk about those moments that we had that were really stressful for me as an adult, let alone them being a kid. So the pros are fantastic. Um, I love my colleagues. I love working with teachers. I think it's great. Um, so there, yeah, I think one of the cons also, well, we'll talk about that later. Go ahead. Gotcha. And I, and I was going to say, speaking of impact and, and kids coming back and remembering the teachers that stand out and just, just in a side story, and it's a story I probably tell, you know, I probably told 20, 30 times since it happened, but, um, on the way to, and you, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about as soon as I say it, um, on the way to, I believe it was Pittsburgh for a game. Uh, with a past friend of mine and oh no actually we were in a car together I think but either way um, you gave a speech to some students because you couldn't be there for them so we were on, I think we were on our way to Pittsburgh yeah and you gave a speech to some kids because you couldn't be there with them I think they were about to take a test or something like that and it sticks out and it still you know pops in my mind every once in a while because it's probably the most impassioned real speech I've ever heard anybody give youth before but the thing that stood out the most was their responses 
as he went through different parts of the speech and asked for feedback or responses and it was just yes sir and yes and this and it was just it just blew my mind and i you, you probably could provide more color on it but that that whole speech and being just there to witness that was always something that i'll never forget well, that it actually brought a tear to my eye when you start talking about it because sometimes you know those things they're not brought up enough to to kind of rejuvenate teachers. But yeah, that was a great day. That was a great year. Those kids that that was a reading intervention class, and we reading intervention is so so important for elementary kids. And at the time, I was an element I was in elementary, and that that trajectory is science research based. If, if a kid is a certain reading level below, they are more likely to end up in jail and all this stuff. So it was at that moment in that time in my career that I said I was going to dump myself into that class and really emotionally everything. And I remember, yeah, we had a Pittsburgh football game and I took a half personal day to get away. Yeah. And they did have like a, an assessment check that day. And I wanted to make sure that they put their best foot forward. And those kids, we had a lot of tears in that class from, from just trying hard and believing in themselves, but they put a lot of effort in. I remember I had a sign on the side of my door and it, it said, uh, instead of work like, or, or play like a champion today, I had the Notre Dame sign remade that said, read like a champion today. Mm-hmm. So it was a great year and that was a great class. And yeah, those kids, they performed well, you know, for themselves, I'd say for me, but they, they performed well for themselves. And when, when you track that particular class as they went up, cause that was years ago, some of them are now service members. Some of them are active in their community. Like there was, there was a profound impact that those kids had on each other. And I was kind of just there to facilitate it. And that's where a, te- a, a good teacher will recognize I'm here to facilitate this learning. I'm here to make sure that they become invested in their own education. And when you get them to that level, then it, it's, it's, it's fantastic. What a little tear to my eye as well. And, you, and one of the things that, that, you know, the listeners can probably hear in your voice. And I know just personally is his passion. Eric's passion about teaching is pretty transparent. It's hard to miss how much he cares about the students he uh, teaches from, you know, dressing up in costumes. And we can go on and on and on to the stuff that uh, Eric does. But uh, so so last question before we get to uh, first thoughts, Um, how do you see technology? And when I say technology, I'm talking STEM and STEAM impacting education going forward. And are there modernization changes or curriculum changes that you feel are needed to be ready for the future? So in the 80s, and especially the 90s, um, the Internet really took off. And universities have not been able to prepare teachers since. And it's not, not knocking universities at all. But candidates are coming out, teacher candidates are coming out, and they're far more prepared than, say, me, who's a, some people would say a veteran teacher. But it change, everything's changing so fast. So the more that, and we're getting into this with our kids in high school, the more that we can teach kids not necessarily facts and, and things like that, and we teach, we more so teach them how to think through problems and work together in groups, that's really, really important. But it's also important for our teaching candidates to be working like that in the school setting. And, and COVID is a perfect example. We were not prepared in March to, for what happened to us. Mm-hmm. And teachers just weren't trained in the stuff that we were all of a sudden expected to do. And I'm not saying that we can't learn it, but it's, there's a learning curve, right? So, and that's just in education. When you talk about the private sector, you could speak better to how the candidates are coming out of college, but 
I can guarantee you universities are struggling um, with, with some of these students coming in that, that they're just not there yet with these initiatives. When you talk about STEM and STEAM, and I know you, I know you know this for a fact, we need more females um, in coming up through these, these programs in, in at hitting them in middle school and elementary school, because something happens in our society where males are generally geared towards these fields and females. And this is, this goes back decades. This is not anything new, but these, these young ladies, and that's why I'm excited to see some of these young ladies coming up through the ranks in these fields and then coming back to schools. And I, I talked about it earlier. It's important for a child to see similarities in the person that's presenting to them. So the more women that we have that make it up through into technology and these different fields and then come back to our young ladies in the schools, it's just going to feed that fire. And so I don't know if I answered your question. Yeah, no, you did. And I, I was sitting there thinking that, um, so a couple of years ago, I was a coach uh, for a Technovation Challenge, which is basically along those lines, getting young women into STEAM and, and, and STEM um, opportunities. And, you know, we filled up, we, we did the research as the local technical school that reached out to me to be a coach. And we, we just recruited in the local communities. We, I think we had something like 20 young ladies from the ages of like eight to 13 in the class. And they were just excited about creating, basically they created their own application and submitted it to the Technovation Challenge for consideration as they had multiple awards worldwide. And, and that whole thing with COVID obviously got shut down this year as well. So they couldn't even bring them all together to award the, the nominees. But it was an interesting experience because you don't realize there are a lot of young women and young ladies who are really interested in STEM and STEAM um, initiatives. And so I, I definitely agree with you. There definitely needs to be more. And I think there needs to be more opportunities for them as well because just a lot of that interest just goes to waste because the opportunities lack. Yeah, and those programs provide the hands-on approach where, where you can sit in a, a classroom and talk about this stuff and nobody's going to be interested in that except for your the rare person that is. You start having kids build things robots, whatever it is, and it, it takes it to a whole new level and builds confidence, too. And confidence is so important for all our kids, which is another reason why COVID, I'm terrified for these kids, because school is a lot about confidence building, and, and we're not there now, and uh, we need to get back. So, Yeah, it's tough to reassure over Zoom. But, yeah. Um, so, yeah, so that's the end of the, the Q&A. And so uh, for those who listened to the, the show before, you know, the next segment, for some reason, scares my guests, and I don't know why. My guests always get scared for this segment, but it's the segment called First Thoughts. And what it means is I'm going to give a phrase or a word uh, to my guest, to Eric, and he's just basically going to relay what the first thing comes to his mind. Um, so I got a couple for me. I actually touched on two of them, so I'm going to skip two of them because you touched on diversity a little bit and you touched on salaries and education. Um, but we can actually, I think I might get diversity again. Actually, yeah, let's start with diversity. So if I say diversity to you, what's your first thought? critical for all parties involved. I grew up in an inner city setting. Okay. And I, I thank I thank God that I grew up in an environment where I was the minority because it, it completely flipped on my, my mindset for the rest of my life. A lot of kids don't have that diversity in teaching uh, in teachers is, is very, very important. Um, it's important for the other kids involved too, so that they see kids, young ladies, Latinx, African-Americans, all these people, 
are part of our community and it's, it's so important to have that diverse background. You know, I think back to Malcolm X and I'm sorry, I'm going back that far, but you know, there was the story where I think he said he wanted what he wanted to be a doctor and, and the teacher said, that's not, that's not for you. That's not for you as a, as a black male. And I think that the impact that teachers have, we need more teachers out there that are, um, really, uh, making our kids enthusiastic to learn, not just for themselves, but around each other too. Um, building, building communities together within the school. It's so, so important. Um, where we have males that are not talking down to females in school because they're their uh, equals. And we're building self-esteem in our young ladies because diversity isn't just about color. I don't need to tell you that. Diversity mm-hmm. is about males and females as well. Our young ladies are, are coming up through elementary school still with, with uh, self-perception problems. And totally, like, when you look at these young ladies, like, it's, it's so messed up what happens to their minds. But we need, we need to build self-esteem in, in all of our children. Uh, and, and diversity is a big, big part of that. Well stated. And uh, speaking of state, so the next uh, first thought, state tests. <laughs> state tests. Uh, okay. I'm all for assessment. I love assessment. It lets you know where you are, where your needs are, not just for the students, but where your needs are as a teacher. So if I teach an algebra class over a year and I find out that 15 of my 20 students didn't learn a certain concept, that ain't on them. That's on me. So I know I need to change that for the next year. Um, I'm all about accountability, but I do feel as though these state tests that we have across the board in the country, by the way, or they're far too emphasized and the results are far too um, overreported um, as being the thermometer for that given school. There's a lot of factors that go into an education. Um, for instance, if you're coming from a household that has stability and you're not homeless and um, there's not uh, domestic violence, things like that, these are all factors that actually affect test scores because you picture a kid coming to school. They're not coming to school with the same tool bag that another kid who doesn't have those issues have. So that's where some of our schools that may score lower on these state tests, there's, there's other factors that impact that, but that's not portrayed in the media. It's more like that school's below basic. Mm. And I think that there's more to an education than just state testing. I do like state testing because it does let us know. It gives us a gauge of where we're at, but it's only one factor. Um, you kind of touched on this next one a little bit, but I, I think I want to ask it anyway. Teacher-student relationships. Everything. Rapport. We call that rapport. Student rapport, teacher rapport, everything. You, you can have the most defiant student with one teacher. And if you know how to build rapport with that student, that student just, you're like the greatest teacher of their life. So when you build that relationship, you're not just impacting the classroom that you're in right then. You're then showing that child that they can have a positive relationship with a teacher and can learn in an environment. And they learn some tools in that class. And all of a sudden, they're able to apply it to other classes. And they're able to apply it to other teachers. And also, you are that, uh, that beacon for them if they have problems. So, so say you develop that relationship in ninth grade with them. You're that beacon of hope where they can come back in 11th grade and tell you how terrible this teacher is treating them. And then you can then say, 
think of it from the teacher's perspective and you can leverage your relationship or in the instance that maybe that teacher is not a very good teacher, you are an advocate that can contact somebody else in the building and look out for that kid. Mm. So like there, there's all sorts of things with student relationships that are so, so important. And then you're teaching them fundamentally how to survive as a self-sufficient citizen. And that's what's most important in school. Wow. I didn't even think about it that way when I came up with this, uh, that particular item. But yeah, that definitely makes sense. One of my favorite subjects, Common Core. This is a, this is a tough one. Um, yeah, it's absolutely needed and it's needed across the board, all 50 states and stick with it. And there's, there's, a, there's standards and they need to be followed and they need to be tracked. Um, I think we need to be careful how we hold teachers accountable for the Common Core. Um, but I also think there, there needs to be some leeway within the day where we address some of the things that may not be in the Common Core. It's a very, very complicated issue. Um, and, um, yeah, so. I say what I think is the, uh, the, <laughs> the best one for last, and I don't mean best in, in a good way, but I think it's something, and that we've had conversations about this before, but I think it's probably something you, you may give your most passionate answer. And I don't mean to serve this up with a, with a prelude, but I, when I came up with this one, and I, and I reordered some of them, and I said this one has to be last because I need to hear you know, what Eric's going to say on this one. Ah, here goes. Absentee parents. <sighs> okay. Well, as a teacher, I try to do everything I can to be the best teacher I can be, and I don't give excuses for anything else that's going on. But an absentee parent is not just impacting that child's life. They're impacting the school environment. Parents are so, so critical. And it actually, I was going to make this my, I saw that there were some last thoughts. Um, parents can make this process of education. They're probably the most important stakeholder. And so let's talk about an IEP meeting. An IEP meeting is a document that, that I have to write and it's a, the team comes together. How are we going to best meet this kid's needs? I always tell the parents, the most important stakeholder is obviously the child. The next most important is the parent because that parent is going to be the one at home building that child's trust in us and reinforcing what we're teaching them. If a good parent is working with a team of teachers, it can make the whole difference in that kid's life. And the teachers are much happier, too. An absentee parent becomes, it becomes very stressful, and it, it's a lot of stress on the teachers, and it's a role that I don't mind taking, by the way. The, the kid ends up, the child ends up really looking up to that teacher more than a teacher. It, it, the, the teacher becomes almost like a superhero to them. Mm-hmm. And teachers don't mind taking on that role, but it, it's, a, it's a lot to take on our shoulders. Um, and we need engagement at home. And you got to remember, an absentee parent impacts the kid in addition because the kid is only in school for 7.5 hours a day. And we can feed them breakfast. We can feed them lunch. But that's a long weekend. And you see it. It's fascinating. And I, I struggled for my first few years of teaching to understand why there were certain kids, a good amount of them, that really started behaving terribly before Thanksgiving and Christmas break, 
you know, and, and you, you start to understand psychologically what was happening. They were about to be sent back to an environment that was not healthy for them. And they were losing the most stable structure that they had and the stable group of adults. And that's, I don't know if that's where you were going with absentee parenting, but that's where like if a parent's in the house, but not actually parenting and it's so terrible for the child and it's not healthy. And then you go back to what is the school's role in all of this? And COVID is bringing out a lot of that, by the way, what is actually the school's responsibility for the community and how much is the parent's responsibility? Now I started off in this response stating that I don't ever blame the parents. I look at what I can change in myself. But when I look at it from a community member's perspective, how much is on the teacher's plate already providing an education? Remember, we are not schooled in a lot of these, what would people would consider guidance counselor duties, right? We don't mind taking them on, but we're not schooled in them. Mm-hmm. And it, it just takes away. And that's where when you, there are, there are absolute, and I'm not, I don't mean to get religious on you, there are absolute living saints that are working in a lot of these um, impoverished school districts where they give their time and money endlessly. It's, it's unbelievable what they do for these children. They need it, they, and, and these teachers will supply that for them. And I did that to a certain extent, but I was nowhere near the level of these people that I could see their faces right now. And these are beautiful people that love their profession and love their community and love their kids. I'm not saying I didn't love that. I'm just saying I'm, I'm, I wasn't at their level yet. Yeah. yeah wow. Yeah. It's, and I, I saved that for last just because I, I knew that one, I knew your response would be something in passion, but I also think it it's probably most important to reinforce in this segment how important parents and parenting is to the success of these children in education and in life in general. So I definitely thank and appreciate you taking your time out to, to join me in Dave's head. And like you said, I want to give you an opportunity uh, to share any last thoughts or anything you're involved in or anything you want to promote. So feel free. I would just say this. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you a story. I got a call at uh, 2 o'clock p.m. on a day I got an email from one of my son's teachers and it was talking about how he was acting up and he, he's my son. So of course he's acting up. But, um, I was at that school at, at three o'clock. You know what I mean? Like I was there and the reaction of the teachers was fascinating because they were terrified of me. Right. I'm a parent coming in. I'm angry. You're saying my kid did something wrong. And when we sat in the room, I could see the teacher's hands shaking because we didn't know which way it was going to go. And they were giving me small talk and I stopped them and I said, I'm not here to have small talk with you. I'm here to address my son's behavior. And everybody was scared. And then I turned to my son, right? And I completely flipped the room and and I went after my son because he needs to learn how to behave in schools. What I would say to parents, and that's that's who I hope is listening to this, is trust your teachers and try to work with your teachers as a team. There's a time to be an advocate, but please don't assume that uh, you know the whole story by hearing your child's side of the story. But that doesn't mean don't be an advocate for them, but know that, that kids can and will um, give the facts, as we all do, give the facts that make them look in the best light when there might be a better explanation. Mm-hmm. And you're building a, a better citizen by working with your teacher um, in, instead of attacking them. Because there's, there's a lot of that across this country where parents feel like they can just go in and attack teachers and administration may pile on. 
Um, and it, it's very stressful for the teacher not knowing if they have the support from home. So always support your teacher until you have enough reasonable suspicion that maybe you need to be an advocate. Don't let that be the default is what I'm saying. Gotcha. Like I said, I appreciate you coming on. I think there was some great information and some passion. And like I said, I, I, teachers hold a a special place in my heart. And, and my, my, part of my decision was just my natural gravity towards technology and computers. But I, I, for, for a brief period of time, I thought I was going to be a teacher. You know, we, we, we had a, (laughs) we, we laugh at a story that we, um, for a class that we, uh, we both were in back in college, but you know, it was, it was, it was almost a gateway to me being a teacher. It, I was that close. It was, it was that hard of a decision to switch out of, um, math. And but, math. Let, but let me, let me clarify for you, Dave, like, like it's not important that you didn't become a teacher because of what you do now in the community and the, the role you play for those young ladies in that steam program. Like you're a superhero. Like, yeah, teachers can be great and teachers can do all these things and teachers, but you're doing things in the community that teachers need. We need that and our society needs that in general. So you would have been a great teacher. I have no doubt. And you would have impacted a lot of lives. But guess what? You are impacting lives. I appreciate I didn't pay him to say that, by the way. But I I, I appreciate that. I I definitely do. And I think um, there's more than, you know, one way to skin a cat, right? Whether it's in class support that the students get or if it's weekend programs or community-based programs there's a lot of ways to to get some great foundation under the the feet of these youth again i thank you for joining we'll be right back after this hey good people you may have noticed some cool music playing for this show that music was provided by dj ms deluxe Deluxe represents as one of the top female DJs in Philly. Since 92, she's been spinning in clubs, on the radio, and touring around the country. And now is doing big things as a producer and local promoter under the main event Philly. Check her out on Instagram at DJ Ms. Deluxe. That's D-J-M-Z-D-E-L-U-X-X. And for promotions, at the main event Philly. All one word. That's DJ Ms. Deluxe doing it since the golden era music the 90s as i like to call it thank you for your support and contribution to dave's head hey headers yeah i didn't coin the phrase i know during my podcast you'll notice that between segments you hear commercials kind of like this one the commercials are either paid sponsorships or promotional for people who support my podcast well i like to provide that same opportunity to all my headers If you like and support, well, technically, you don't have to like it, I guess. But I mean, it's kind of weird and somewhat creepy if you don't like my podcast, but you're still faithfully listening to it. Anyway, if you at least listen to my podcast, I like to offer you the opportunity to advertise on it. Now, before you say it, there is no cost. Hashtag free. If you have a charity or community event or anything going on where you're paying it forward, shoot me an email with a summary and the key info and I'll do all the rest for you. Or, you know what, get creative and do a 30-second ad yourself and send it to me. Either way, send it to davesheadpod at gmail.com. Let's spread the news about great things together. Thanks for listening. Welcome back, welcome back, welcome back, welcome back. Thank you for sticking with me. I'm impassioned segment there with Eric Healy. 
Uh, we discussed the pros and cons and some changes that are needed and, and heard just passion that's shared by many educators, including Eric. And like I said at the beginning of that segment, it's, it's something that warms my heart. And a lot, not a lot of people know about that side of me when it comes to um, the youth and how important they are to me and educating and paying it forward to the youth. It's something I love to do. It's something that I'm passionate about doing. And as, that, as Eric spoke on, I swear I didn't pay him to say those things, but as he spoke on, he knows me for a number of decades. You know, the, it's something when you put your effort into a child and, and like he said, you see that light bulb go off and you know that your your effort, your, your attention, your passion, your desire to see them succeed turned on this light bulb. And as Eric put it, it leads to that ripple being created. That's what you hope that what you put into this child, this child puts back into the world. And maybe just maybe that ripple reaches another child who does the same thing. It's like it's kind of like the butterfly effect. If you if you're familiar with that, where, you know, butterfly flaps its wings and the other side of the world does it have an impact on this side. Well, this is tangible proof that an effort you put into a child and the result that light bulb coming on in it and sparking something inside of them to do the same for another child as they get older. That, to me, is the best form of a butterfly effect. And so on that note, I'm going to talk about my GRIN for this episode. And for those tuning in for the first time, GRIN is an acronym. It's an acronym I made up, which means great reason to be in love with now. So my GRIN for this episode is free education. And since COVID began, well, at least the lockdown part of it, we spent an increasing amount of time stagnant in our homes. I know I have. I've been working hard to literally work out and cook and meal prep. I mean, if you follow me at all, you know, I'm cooking my ass off right now. I'm not really posting the workout videos because I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to like show off body and all that stuff, but I'm working hard to occupy my mind and occupy myself and the things that I do because I don't want to just sit around and waste away just because I'm fully remote now for work. I'm, I got my other business stuff that I'm doing. I'm working on different things for clients. I'm cooking, working out, drinking, but and trying to just enjoy this existence that we're in at this point. I'm willing to bet that your productivity and your learning, that mental stimulation, that intellectual stimulation has decreased just like mine. And I know I find myself wanting to do just a ton of things, right? You're sitting there, you're like, oh my God, I want to do everything. But you can't really settle on what exactly you want to do. Because for me, my life has become very planned and structured and through my calendar. My calendar kind of tells me where to go and what to do and who I'm doing it with and what phone calls I'm on and who's Zooming what. And that's just kind of what my life is at this point. I actually keep track of five different calendars that I consolidate all into one calendar. And, and fortunately, I look at the color codes and... It tells me, okay, for this organization, I'm doing this. For my company, I'm doing that. For my job, I'm doing this. My personal, I'm doing that. And so it's interesting when you're trying to do so much just because you don't want to be bored. It's a different mentality, especially since COVID came around. You know, we're spending way, way much more time in the house. And this is where I think online courses can play a part in us getting out of that monotony that COVID has put us in. And so what I want to talk about is a website called Coursera. That's C-O-U-R-S-E-R-A, Coursera.org. And like many, there, and there are many online course providers, but Coursera is another online course provider. And the reason I'm mentioning 
Coursera amongst the slew of other online course providers I could have mentioned. Is there something I noticed about Coursera? First, a little bit about them. So they do offer hundreds of free courses. They have on-demand video lectures, they have homework exercises, community discussion forums, and, and much more. And they also have paid courses that give you, you know, additional quizzes and projects, and they also give you certification certificates upon completing those courses. But the reason they're part of my grin this week, or this episode, I should say, is at the end of March, and if you can go back in your very, very short time bubble for this year, I know this year is blown by, so it's, it's you can't believe it's already August, but if you go back to the beginning of the COVID lockdown situation, so the end of March, Coursera announced that they were offering 100 free online courses in response, direct response to COVID-19. And originally when they did this, the deadline for when that free period would end was May. And then May came and COVID-19 was still here. And so they extended it to the end of July. And obviously, I think you see where this is going. We're now in August. And so the cool thing that they did, they've now extended it through the rest of the year. And so they have seven categories that they're offering free courses in. I'm going to talk about them briefly for a second, because I think it's important that, you know, just we're not celebrating freeness just because it's free. You know, free has cost, by the way. Nothing's really, truly free. But in this case, what the cost is, is your time, right? So this is kind of a good cost. So I want to talk about the categories of free courses that they're offering. And so the first one is, I think, one of the most important, mental health and well-being. And they describe it as demystifying mindfulness to understanding the science of happiness. And they go on and, and, and further describe it, but the science of happiness. There's a lot of stresses going on right now because of COVID-19. So understanding the inner workings of your mind, understanding how to improve or enhance your well-being. And I love the way they put it, the science of happiness. I like to say enjoy life because life should be fun. That's my happiness. The life I have, the life I'm given is a gift to me. So I'm going to take every possible minute I can to enjoy it. Because my personal belief is we shouldn't have these stresses. We shouldn't have these murders. We shouldn't have these difficulties. Life should be fun. And that's the way I approach it. So next category is high school students. And so they cover things like calculus and guitar for beginners. You know, they do things and include things that high schoolers would be interested in. You know, brushing up on your math, keeping your mind sharp, learning how to play a guitar, occupying your time with something creative, stimulating that mind, stimulating that mind, stimulating that mind. And as high school students, we know testosterone levels are flying, endorphin levels are flying, you know, everything's flying back and forth with high school students. They're, they're trying to do everything and anywhere. They, they feel like they're invincible. And sometimes they need to just settle down, get their mind, their mental stimulated, settle down, do something creative. High school students, college students, and adults are handling COVID way different than each other. And so this is a category that helps high school students. And then college students is the next category, preparing for an interview, learning data science. These are all things that college students have in their minds now, because whether you're an incoming freshman or about to graduate as a senior, there are things on a different level in high school students that you have to think about. And so offering free courses to help high school or excuse me, college students move on to the next phase or prepare for the next phase of their life is, is kind of key. Next category is career development, creative problem solving, personal branding. We had Dr. Brandy on a little while ago, one of the most thorough branding individuals I've seen. I mean, her brand is always out there. If you look at her, if you follow her on LinkedIn, 
your brand is important to your career. It's not just about sitting in an interview. It's not just about having a nice, pretty resume. It's about how you market yourself. And a lot of times we don't think about this until we get a couple of doors shut on us, until we don't get a couple jobs, until somebody we know we're better than excels past us in their career. Personal branding is key. They also have building your cloud technology career. And think about this. We're getting more and more cloud-based and some people are looking at the sky right now. Stop doing that. That's not the cloud we're talking about. We're getting more and more cloud-based. Technology is getting faster and smaller. Processing speeds are going nuts. Cloud storage is getting outrageous. Learning how to operate in that space may be the career path change you need. Maybe the career stimulation you need to pick up a different technology, at least an understanding of or introduction to it. And so cloud computing, machine learning, all these things that are exploding right now, the ability to analyze data in real time. You know, you have a, a Echo Dot, I have a couple of them across my house. You know, being able to say Alexa and then ask it a question, that's machine learning. That's understanding the things that I'm gonna potentially prompt my Echo Dot to, to give back to me. So that's an important technology. If you have that technology savvy, you know, cloud technology is not for everyone, but for some people it's a nice career change. And so that's a great category to have as well. Next to last category they have is understanding public health. You know, the science of COVID-19 and the, the factual science of COVID-19, I should say. There's a lot of misinformation, a lot of high level opinions out there in the world polluting with misinformation and disinformation. Not just misinformation. Misinformation is kind of unintentionally spreading something that's not true, thinking it may be. Disinformation is actually intending to spread this information that we know is not true. I believe those are two. I might have them flipped, but I'll, I'll, I'll confirm. But yeah, the science of COVID-19 and then communicating during global emergencies. You know, how to understand public health functionality and how things move and how you should operate. Your GoPack. And if you don't know what GoPack is, you should look it up. Having those things on a ready, having an emergency plan, having an escape plan, having family rendezvous points, those types of things. But understanding that, especially in the COVID-19 era, is key. And having free courses on that is pretty um, valuable. And lastly, the last one I, I thought was interesting, but it, it, it also makes sense. You know, when I was in high school, I had a choice to make in ninth grade of what language I wanted to take throughout the course of my high school. And it was one of those things where my understanding was the choice I made determined my class schedule and how things moved around. And that was a choice I was making for four years. I couldn't change it. So I said, I want French. Don't know why. It was a coin flip for me. Went to France a couple years ago. Couldn't speak a lick of it. I knew bonjour. Ça va? I knew that. Hello, how are you? Couldn't speak much more than that. And I can speak a little more than that. I'm, just, I'm being very, very uh, <laughs> flippant right now. But I could definitely understand it. I could definitely understand French, but I couldn't speak it back. In retrospect, I wish I would have taken Spanish just because think about it. The places, and if you follow me, the places that I travel, the places that I'm, I'm planning to travel to, whether in the continental U.S. or the islands or Europe and different places I go to, majority of them Spanish-speaking places. I mean, if you go outside the bubble of the U.S., English isn't the primary language in a lot of places. And so Spanish... Being a category is somebody for me, I may fill some of my time, my very rare free time, and take a class or two, learn some more Spanish. Because Spanish-speaking people are everywhere, U.S. and beyond. 
And so it's kind of cool that Coursera is offering these 100 free online courses for the remainder of the year. Um, I encourage you to check out Coursera at Coursera.org. That's C-O-U-R-S-E-R-A.org. And if you want to look specifically for what I'm talking about, because if you go to their website, it's a little difficult to find. And so what I encourage you to do is instead of going directly to their website, go to blog.coursera.org. So B-L-O-G dot Coursera.org. You have a search window. Search for the word together. Because the premise of how they announced this was we're together during uh, COVID-19. And so search for the word together and it will be the first result on the top left. And scan the free courses, sign up. It's free to sign up. Take some courses, take some time. You know, you're sitting there. Maybe you're stuck in a house. Maybe it's pouring down, raining outside. You can't go anywhere anyway. Maybe take a course. But the fact that they're deciding in the midst of a pandemic to take 100 courses and the work that goes into 100 courses has a financial value. So I'm sure there's some value to this that's you know worth your time, worth my time, worth the time of the people who put these courses together. But they're offering them for free during this pandemic. So check it out. And I hope you enjoy it. And if you, you do take a course and you enjoy it, drop a comment on a page. Let me know. I would love to see how many people actually take uh, the opportunity to take some free courses. For now, that's what's in Dave's head. Until next time, stay happy and healthy. Like I always say, enjoy life because life should be fun. Thank you for listening. And take care. <laughs>